Obviously, it goes without saying, there are many weird aspects to the time that we're living in right now. One of the weirdest, and and I think some of you would say one of the most difficult, is the fact that there are no sports at all. I mean, we had the NFL draft this past week, and that... That was like a little sports oasis in the middle of this desert that we're living in. But, but nobody's playing games. There, there, there are no actual games that we can watch. There's, there was no first game of baseball, opening day. Like That was a hard one. No opening day for the baseball season. We, we didn't have an NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, there, there's, there's no College World Series coming up, the, no NBA, and dare I say it, there's even uh, suggestions that the fall football schedule is going to be affected. Nothing, nothing's happening right now, not even Little League games. I mean, unless you have enough people in your family for a pickup game in the backyard, there are no sports being played. So what I've noticed lately is to try to fill that gap, uh, radio stations and even television stations, sports stations, are replaying previous games. Uh, As a matter of fact, starting tomorrow, Monday the 27th, starting tomorrow uh, and all this coming week, uh, Fox Sports Southeast is replaying the Atlanta Braves in the 95 World Series. What a great moment to relive. Georgia games are being replayed. Uh, I know they're being replayed on the radio because I, I hear them occasionally. Because we don't have live sports, we're, we're trying to relive the sporting events of the past. Now, I've noticed a couple of things about these rebroadcasts, these, these replays of old sporting events. And the first thing I've noticed is we only replay the games where our team won. The Atlanta Braves are replaying the 95 World Series. Nobody's replaying the Atlanta Braves in the 91 World Series or the 92 World Series or the 96 World Series or the 99 World Series. You get what I'm saying? Like We're not replaying games where we lost. We're replaying the games where we won or the series where we won the Georgia games. Uh, Replaying the Rose Bowl from a couple of years ago, the incredible win over Oklahoma, historic win for the University of Georgia. It was an incredible game. I've heard on the radio them replaying the the most recent Notre Dame games. Uh, Incredible wins. I have not heard anybody replaying the 2019 game against South Carolina. I just haven't. Now, the great thing about being online right now is I can't hear you booing and hissing. Like, it doesn't even affect me right now. 
We're not replaying the games where we did poorly. So yes, for South Carolina, we can replay about three games. Does that make you feel better? I knew you were thinking it. We're replaying the games that we won. Now, here's another interesting aspect of watching a game that you've already seen, but a game that you won you know how it ends. So the whole time you're listening to this game, the whole time you're watching this game, you're not nervous at all. Is your team down by 10 points in the second quarter? You're not even nervous. Down by two with a minute to play? You're not even anxious. As a matter of fact, you're a little bit excited because you know what's going to happen next. You know the play they're going to run, and you know how effective it's going to be. You, you can't wait for the end because you know how this game ends. Nothing in the first three and a half quarters, four quarters of the game can bother you because you know how the game ends. That ridiculous penalty right before the half or the fumble or the interception doesn't even get your blood pressure up because you know how this game is going to end. Now, in in real time, when you were there, when you were watching it actually happen, you you got a little anxious, right? You, You got a little nervous. If you were watching it in your living room, you changed seats for the second half if you were losing in the first half because that seat wasn't helping your team win. Or you changed jerseys for the second half. Or you, you got a different hat to wear for the second half. Sports fans are crazy superstitious. When you're watching a game in real time, you're watching it actually happen you get worried, but when you know how the, the game ends, nothing about that game makes you anxious. When the game is over, you know that your team wins. When you're living moments in real time and unsure how things are going to work out, you're often anxious in the moment unless... Unless you know how the game, unless you know how the story ends. See, here's the spiritual application. If we're a follower of Jesus, we already know we've won. We already know how the story is going to end. We already know we win in the end, regardless of what's happening right now. Regardless of what's happening in the present, when the story ends... We win. The last chapter's already been written. It's already been determined. When the story ends, we win. This story that we've been reading from God's Word, we we started at the very beginning, and we've been working our way, really big chunks, but we've been working our way all the way through this book, and this book is filled with twists and turns and ups and downs and victories and defeats and difficulties and successes but when we come to the last chapter the last chapter says we win and look we may not know exactly how the fourth quarter is going to play out I I don't claim to know that some people do some people seem to know a lot of details about how the final minutes of this story is going to happen I don't know all of those details what I know is when the clock gets to zero 
when the story is when my story's over, your story's over, when the story of this universe is over, the people of God win. John was a disciple of Jesus. And uh, toward the end of his life, he was given a vision. We call it the revelation, the revelation of Jesus. He was allowed to see into heaven, into the future even. Here are some of the very last words of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's how it ends. That's how everything wraps up. Up. Remember how we started Genesis, God creates the world. Genesis 3, our disobedience mars the world, disrupts the perfect world that God had created and placed us in. And because of our sin, death enters the world, tragedy enters the world, sickness enters into the world, pain enters into the world into the world, loss enters into the world, disobedience becomes the default setting in our relationship to God. We have a default setting that makes us want to move away from God. And over thousands of years, God has been making it possible for creation to be recreated in its perfect form. And he was making a way for humans, for for us, to be able to enjoy that perfect, recreated world as it was intended to be. Ultimately, Jesus comes into the world. He lives and dies and rises again so that our sins can be forgiven and we could experience an eternal, beautiful perfect heaven and earth that God was created. What had plagued the world, what had plagued the earth since Genesis 3 is ultimately and finally removed once and for all. And John says there'll be no more death at that point and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. But don't miss this. God didn't just want a perfect heaven and earth. He wanted us to be there to enjoy the new heaven and earth. God could have created a new heaven and earth. He could have brought into existence a new heaven and earth in Genesis chapter 3. But He delays. He waits because He's patiently 
providing an opportunity for people to come to faith in him. He was working his plan of salvation, culminating with the person of Jesus. And still to this day, God is waiting that more people would put their faith in him, would come to trust him so that they could experience the new heaven and the new earth that God is creating in eternity. Jesus is leading us into a better eternity, a new eternity. And God is still waiting for any person who hasn't put their faith in Him to trust Him through Jesus. Paul said it like this, as as he was thinking about the future, as he was thinking about eternity, Paul writes, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Like in, in heaven, in, in eternity, the Jesus who was crucified and rose again is going to be seated on a throne next to his Father. Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning. God is going to be seen as the sovereign over all. But Paul says not just that. Our struggles in this life are going to be worth it. Our struggles in this life are going to be redeemed in this new glory that we get to live in for all of eternity. Paul points out on the one hand that physically, outwardly, we're wasting away. He's talking about our physical body, even our physical earth. Our body gets old. It gets tired. It starts to break down. Paul had just listed some of the suffering that he had experienced in his life and because of the physical suffering that he had experienced, because of the emotional suffering that he had experienced, Paul knew this life gets tiring. This body gets worn out outwardly we struggle. We're wasting away. We, we sometimes use that phrase by saying, you look like you're wasting away to nothing. You're wasting away to nothing. What we often mean is somebody's losing a lot of weight. They, they look like they're wasting away. Sometimes as we get older, Certainly as we battle sickness and battle diseases, there, there's, for some of us comes a time we, we just have trouble keeping weight on. We're wasting away. We, we have trouble putting weight on. Now, wasting away can also mean the opposite sometimes. Sometimes the older we get, the harder it is to get weight to go away. Uh, I am doing my best to work on the quarantine 15 right now. I I discovered a brand new flavor of bluebell ice cream, and so I am moving full speed ahead on the quarantine 15, and maybe you are as well. Paul's point is, our our body, it just doesn't work the way it used to. It it wears out. It it gets tired, but even though we're wasting away, like I, we're experiencing suffering and struggles and 
trials, Paul says inwardly, inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. Like there is a new strength in me that I am experiencing. And much of that strength is the assurance that Jesus is not only at work now, but that Jesus has prepared me for the end. Jesus has prepared me for the end of this story. And I know that when the story ends, I'm going to win. We're going to win if we put our faith in Jesus. Paul even says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And Paul isn't trying to be dismissive of your struggles or even of his own struggles. Paul Paul has been really honest about his own struggles and the pain that he had experienced and the the, the emotional relational pain people who had betrayed him Paul was very honest about the weight and the depth of his own personal pain so he's not being dismissive of pain and and he's not trying to be super spiritual to say yes I've endured a lot but I'm really spiritual and I'm going to overcome he's not trying to be super spiritual he's just trying to give some perspective He's trying to help us look at this life from the perspective of eternity. As he said, if we can fix our eyes on what's eternal, if if we can think about how this story ends, then we realize that the hurt and the pain that we experience right now, outwardly or, or emotionally, doesn't get the final word. Our pain in this life is not the final chapter. It's not the final score. There is joy coming. There is beauty coming. There is glory coming. There is eternity coming for those who have put their faith in Christ. And so when you look at life from that perspective, you're able to say with Paul, what I'm experiencing right now compared to that really is light and momentary. If you're watching the replay of a football game, the the fumble hurt, right? You you still wish that hadn't happened. The interception hurt. The bad penalty. You're, You're thinking, why did we do that? Why did that have to happen? But you're viewing that through the perspective of knowing it's going to be okay in the end. This isn't going to hurt us ultimately. It feels bad right now. It was a bad moment, but that's not going to harm me in the end because in the end, we win. We win. Already decided. In another place, Romans chapter 8, Paul says, I consider that our present suffering, what we're seeing right now, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I, and, I, and I know right now, in the middle of it, as we're experiencing it, there's pain. There's struggle. There's hurt. There's loss. There's, there's tragedy. But what, whatever we're going through right now, Paul says... It's not even worth comparing to how good it's going to be one day. It's not even comparing. like It's not even going to register on the radar when we get to eternity and experience the joy and the fullness and the goodness that God has prepared for those 
who love him and have put their faith in him. That, that doesn't mean we should look at the sufferings of this world, whether they be our own or someone else, someone else's. That doesn't mean we, we should look at the sufferings of this world and think, oh, that doesn't matter. You know, that's really not a big deal. That's not what Paul's saying. It does matter. Hurt matters in this world. It, it is a big deal. Loss matters. The impact, the effect of sin in this world hurts. That's, Paul's not saying that it doesn't. Of course it does. But Paul is simply saying, let's keep the right perspective. Because no matter how big the hurt now, no matter, no matter how much the tragedy now, we're going to look back even on this, even on whatever's bringing pain right now, we're going to look back on it from eternity and realize it doesn't compare to the glory of God in a new heaven and a new earth. Right? When Paul says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, it's not a statement about how small our sufferings are on earth. It's a statement about how large the goodness and glory of God will be in eternity. It's not minimizing what we're going through here. It's not saying, well, that's not really important. It's maximizing how incredibly glorious and beautiful the glory of God and the joy of God will be in the next life. He's not trying to tell us your suffering is small. He's not trying to tell us that your pain is insignificant. He's saying the glory of God in eternity, when this story ends, what you're going to experience is going to be unbelievably huge. Because when the story ends, we win. In, in his story, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis writes about a teacher or a narrator that's, that's trying to explain heaven and eternity to people who are, who are on their way there. And, and at one point, the teacher says this, that is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Like the very things that cause us pain in this life. The very things that cause us to mourn, to weep, cause us to, to be broken hearted. Those very things, when we get to heaven, God's going to show us that even those are meant for glory in ways that you and I can't understand right now. It doesn't do a lot of good for us to try to figure out how right now. Many of those issues we're never going to figure out in this life, but I believe with Paul, I believe with C.S. Lewis that one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to look back and the joy of the Lord is going to be so huge that we're going to realize even that thing that caused so much pain was ultimately used for God's glory, was ultimately used for all of eternity, for the purposes of God. Listen, knowing God brings glory from struggles doesn't make the sorrows of this life painless. It does keep them from being pointless. 
understanding heaven, understanding the end of the story, understanding the glory and joy that's going to come with a new heaven and a new earth. It doesn't make our struggles painless, but it assures us they're not pointless either. It assures us that this story is not random and chaotic, but God is purposefully, intentionally, with love and compassion, drawing all things to their ultimate glorious end. The book begins with God who created a beautiful, good universe. A universe that's marred by our sin and our disobedience. And then God reveals His perfect plan to restore all things through the person of Jesus. Because God wanted humans to join Him in this beautiful eternity. He waited thousands of years to prepare the world for His Son to come. To be the one who had the power to remove our sins and usher us into heaven When we die, and he's still waiting. He didn't wait just thousands of years before Jesus. He's waited now thousands of years after Jesus because he wants you to have an opportunity to be with him one day in a new heaven and a new earth. He gave us a book that's really filled with 66 smaller books as a a giant flag. So that we would encounter it and we would know this world is not random and chaotic, though it sometimes seems to be. This world is not some huge accident, though sometimes it seems to be that there is purpose and there is planning. And God has been at work since the beginning to bring redemption and salvation and ultimate glory in eternity through a new heaven and a new earth. And he wants you to be a part of that. See, here's the thing. If we, if we read this book, if we study this book, even if we memorize portions of this book, but we don't meet the God of this book, then we miss the purpose of this book. See, the purpose of the book is not merely for us to know some of its contents. It, it, it's not merely... For us to understand who the good kings were and who the bad kings were in the Old Testament. It's not merely for us to kind of get everything in a chronological order as we study it. I've met people who know just enough about the Bible that they think they're fine. I've met people who have read various things in the Bible to the point where they're able to make some arguments. They're able to feel kind of self-righteous about what they know or what they disagree with, but this wasn't given to us so that we could argue over it. It wasn't given to us just so we would memorize some of it or we would know some facts and some trivia and some tidbits. This was given to us to lead us to the God that this book is about was given to us to lead us into a relationship with the Jesus whose story appears on every page, in every character, in every moment 
of this book as the Bible continues to point, uh, point us to the one who is the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus. And from beginning to end, this book is about the Jesus who loves you, whose grace is for you, whose forgiveness is offered to you, who ultimately one day will establish a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more pain and no more crying and no more tears and no more separation and no more death and no more struggles. And that Jesus is holding back the new heaven and new earth so that more people would come to know him. Like I'm not, I'm not somebody who tries to scare people to Jesus. Jesus didn't seem to try to scare people when he was on earth. Jesus came and loved people. He showed compassion for people. And that love and that compassion drew many people to him. That love, that compassion caused many people to put their faith in him, not just as a man, but as the son of God and the savior of the world. At the same time, this eternal life that we talked about, this end of the story that we talked about, the story of God is very clear that that's reserved for those who have come into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. The the people who can currently right now say, when this story ends, I win. They're the people who have believed the story of Jesus. They have believed the person of Jesus. They have entered into a relationship with him by faith through the forgiveness of their sins because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And to those people, Jesus says, I'm creating a new heaven. I'm creating a new earth. I want you to join me. I want you to be with, you, with me. I want you to know that your current struggles won't even measure up when you get to heaven. Jesus is inviting us to join him in relationship now so that we can join him in eternity one day. There's simply no other avenue to eternal life. There's no other path. There's there's no other road that leads to the eternity that God has planned for us other than a relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to invite you To look into your own heart right now. Look into your own mind. Look into your past. Has there been a moment where you didn't just know about the Bible? You didn't just know about religion? You you didn't just know about God or some things about Jesus? But you, you, wherever you're sitting right now... in a living room, in a kitchen, with your family, by yourself, wherever you're sitting right now, has there been a time when you committed your life by faith to following Jesus? And if there hasn't been, do it today. That's what this whole book is about. This whole book is about a God who came for you to redeem you and enter into relationship with you and one day bring you into His glory, bring you into the joy of eternity? Have you done that? 
Like nobody's there pressuring you. We're just, I'm just saying to you, be compelled by the love and the compassion and the life of Jesus. He wants to know you. And so wherever you are right now, if, if you've never done that, I encourage you, just in your own words, tell Jesus you want a relationship with him. Tell him that you want to be forgiven of your sins. That you want to be someone who can say, when the story ends, I win because of Jesus. I would just, just tell him, you want to give your life to him. You want to follow him. Nothing else in your life matters than that one decision. Nothing else. We make really big decisions all throughout our lives. We make really important decisions. None of them are as important as this decision because this decision determines not only this life, but your eternity. Give your life to Him. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to pray for you. If that's you, if if you've given your life to Christ today, let us know through the connection card. Let us know uh, through the social media comments. Send us an email at our church. We want to pray for you. We want to celebrate you. We want to help you start making first steps in your relationship with Jesus. Because if you've come to faith, if you've come into relationship with him, here's what I know. When the story ends, we win. Let's pray. God, thank you that just as the Bible is full of ups and downs and, and victories and defeats and, and struggles and chaos, it seems, at times, there's one story woven all the way through the Bible from beginning to end And it is the loving, forgiving story of salvation through Jesus. It didn't stop on Easter. It didn't stop at the resurrection. That story continues right up till today as you're still calling people into relationship with you. You're still waiting. You're still patiently waiting for more people to commit their life to Jesus so that they would experience the glory of God the joy, the the meaning, the beauty of a new heaven and a new earth one day for all eternity to be in the presence of God, to be able to say, lot's happening right now. There's a lot I don't understand right now. There are a lot of struggles I have right now, but this I know. When this story ends, I win. God, thank you that we live every day and every moment with that assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.